Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Welcome to Faith in Your Recovery. I'm Randy Davis, and uh, we're just glad you've joined us. Hope you've had a blessed holiday season, and you're still in that kind of spirit, still enjoying the gifts of the season and the gifts of the incredible life that's offered to each and every one of us. And that's part of what we're about, that we we brag about being all things recovery. We believe that's an improvement in the quality of life. <laughs> Who wouldn't like that gift? So we're going to offer that to you here today. With me is Faust Ruggiero. He has a Master of Psychology and over 40 years of experience, along with several personal betterment guidebooks. Uh, he believes that anxiety, depression can be overcome, and he's going to share that with us as well as some of his knowledge concerning addiction. He's a specialist in that area. On today's program, he'll give us insights of, of how we can become a healthier, happier, more complete us. Welcome, Faust. Andy, thanks so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be spending time with you today. Well, we look forward to what you have to share. Give the folks a little personal story of where you are, where you're coming to us from, what your life's been about, and then we'll get into the heavy stuff. Wonderful. You know, uh, I live here in uh, eastern Pennsylvania, have all my life. Um, uh, I've been that type of person. Uh, I've been guided by faith all my life and uh, got into counseling really as a, just an outgrowth of what was what I was all about growing up? I was the kid everybody came to and talked to. I love that from the uh, from the beginning. I'm still doing it now. I'm 69. I'm still doing it, and um, you know I, I've uh, gone through the all the counseling in prisons. Uh, you know, uh, with deaf kids, uh, hospitals uh, in the prison. I did five years of counseling uh, substance abuse people. I worked in substance abuse clinics. Uh, got certified in drug and alcohol uh, counseling. Uh, and uh, so here I am today still doing the same thing. Still finding the same fulfillment, joy in all of that? Oh, loving it. You know, in fact, uh, you know, we'll get done here and I'll see. Uh, I have a couple more people scheduled tonight. So, you know, I go till I'll start in the morning at eight, take some, a break for a couple hours in the afternoon. Then I'll go till we go eight o'clock, nine o'clock, whenever it ends, we end, you know. And, and that's great. And I'm fortunate enough to have my home is big enough so I can have the office in the house. And, nice. you know, so, uh, you know, then when I'm done, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, let's go ahead. I'd like to draw attention to one of your quotes that I read. And uh, you certainly have a list of them on your website there. And the one that struck me was have faith, fear nothing, you will overcome everything speak to that a moment would you please you know um when when i get people in the office and we start talking to, about faith the first thing they do is they say well 
that's that whole God thing. And I don't want to get involved in that. And I said, I said, well, you're way down the line. Let's just talk about you as someone who has, who can have faith. That, that's what we really want to want to talk about. Uh, and and there's, a, there's a pathway to do that. I don't think that, you know, unless, unless the Lord comes over and gives you your, your uh, you know, our epiphany, or we, he answers our prayer that says, hey, God, just come down in front of me and I'll know you're, you're you know, you're there. Other than that, the other 99.9% .9 of us, we got to figure this out, you know? So I always tell people, you have to prepare yourself for that. Uh, and, it, you know, when you're preparing for faith or you're preparing to, um, to become sober, you're really doing the same things. Think about it. You're becoming accountable. You're becoming honest. Uh, you're you're uh, uh, losing your arrogance and, and, and humilities there. And when you get to those points where you, you start to surrender all those things, then you start to realize what really matters. And then at that point, you realize that you can, you can conquer anything. It's just that you're not weighted down by uh, what the world gives us, you know, and it, you, you need to be this, you need to have this, you need to go there, look like this, whatever it may be, think like this, have the same opinions as, as all of us, that type of thing. When you get away from all of that, then you realize whether it's, it's the Lord you're putting it from you or, or the recovery, it's all the same thing. I always say that's why the 12-step programs have a higher power in them, because it's necessary to have that focal point. Okay. Okay, so do you believe faith and recovery? They don't only coexist; they're just basically about the same thing. They are. I, I think if if you have, uh, I, I see very very few people who go through the recovery process and and somehow their faith doesn't increase. And people who yeah. have faith understand what recovery is all about. So you know they go hand in hand all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So. Tell us the the role you believe anxiety and depression play in the life of those who end up with a substance use disorder and addiction. Sure. You know, in each case, when you talk about anxiety or depression, Randy, what you're talking about is chemical imbalances, uh, you know, where the the, the neurotransmitters aren't doing what they need to do in the brain. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you choose to look at it, alcohol and other substances have a tendency to distract us, to divert attention, and sometimes actually to make us feel, though, you know, like we're coming out of that. We turn off our brains. The anxiety goes down. Uh, the depression doesn't seem to bother us as much because now we have this escape. And the only problem is what it does is create a whole new problem, which is now addiction. And you're using that all the time when you never really got to the cause. And I always tell people, we need always to get to the cause of a problem. We don't want to just treat the symptom. And that's all that the substances do. And for some people, there's a long you know, family history of substance abuse. So the last thing we want to see them do is involve themselves in those, in those measures in order to treat anxiety or depression. You get involved with a counselor who knows what they're doing. You can We'll bring you through that. You don't need the substances. Okay. Let's take a step back and define for us, give us your definition of the words anxiety and the word depression, please. Yeah. Anxiety is, a, is a, a, both of them, I, I like that people understand that they are what you have. They're not who you are. Anxiety is 
what happens to us when, again, the neurotransmitters don't work well, it revs our body up. We, re we become very reactive and we, we live life in an accelerated state, uh, physically, emotionally, uh, and intellectually, primarily. Um, some people like to call it a mental health problem. It's really a physical problem that develops into a mental health issue also. Depression is, again, where the neurotransmitters don't work and they don't stimulate the brain to do what it's supposed to do. So it's always down. It's always everything is down. You, your, your thought process is your ability to emote social uh, ability to be social is down. All those kinds of things. We just can't come out of ourselves. They're really, if you look at it, they're coming from the same place and they're bookends, if you will. They're the opposite ends of the spectrum, but they are stimulated by the same thing. We, we don't, you know, the brain is not receiving what it needs in order to operate efficiently. Is there a healthy level of anxiety and depression, or is it always negative? With anxiety, there is a healthy level. Um, you know, sometimes we, we start to feel that the body coming up a little bit, if you will, and, and the mind can focus. Uh, it, it actually sometimes spurs us into action. We're now getting that energy. Uh, it's just when it crosses a line, and, and that line is, we know we got there when, when our bodies, we can't seem to calm them down, when we can't turn off our heads, when the emotions fire very quickly. So w with um, uh, anxiety, it can, in, in certain circumstances, in the proper levels, actually be a positive for us. Uh, with depression, rarely ever be you know, a positive, because it, it just robs us of our ability to think clearly, uh, to, uh, to, to, to uh, communicate with other people. We may even know what we want to say, but we can't get it out, those types of things. So depression, I don't see it as ever a positive, but anxiety at the right levels pushes us a little bit. And if we act and get in the flow, it works great. If we don't, then it, we spin the wheels internally. Okay. You touched on it there when you said once we cross the line, we sense, we know the difference of it's just gone from healthy or positive downhill in a hurry. Okay. So uh, how do we know other than that when it's out of control? Uh, what's some of the evidences of that anxiety taking over, taking charge, being a dark thing in our lives? Yeah, you know, uh, you start from from internally, and what you're dealing with there is you'll feel your body. I can't, I can't calm this down. Um, you know, no matter what I do, I just, you know, I'm always feeling something is going to happen. I'll, my mind is thinking all the what ifs. Okay, oh my God, what's going to happen with this? I'll fear the fear factor comes out a little uh, more intensely. Um, uh, emotionally, I'm overly reactive. You know, I'm reacting very quickly. I'm not getting my, myself enough time to think. If you've got those things going on, then anxiety is what we call at clinical levels. It's that a point where you need to do something about it. <clears throat> and unfortunately, many people uh, will do things to actually, I call it feeding the beast, if you will. Uh, you know, they'll get up in the morning and they'll have their three or four or five, whatever cups of coffee and, and, and the, and the, uh, the energy drinks and all the kinds of things that rev the body up. And, you know, when you want to talk about addiction, you'd be surprised how anxiety and the things we do to speed our body up can become addictive. Uh, and, and so those, that cup, those cups of coffee 
those sodas and those energy bars and energy drinks. And, you know, we're doing that all the time. And we've now become used to a level of stimulation, which is so high. And we keep feeding it because it's addictive. Now our brain is adjusted that we don't realize we're anxious anymore. Our, our, our threshold has gone up. And, but as a culture, that's such a dangerous place to be because everyone is, or so many people are overreacting. So, you know, the first order of business is always stop feeding the demon, if you will. Stop putting things in your body. Stop doing things that are causing you to become anxious. So by feeding that demon, as you stated, we've raised our level of uh, tolerance and everything else that goes with it to where we want to keep it at that level. So we get our hands on something else to elevate it a little higher next time or whatever the case may be. Yes. Yeah. And if you think about it, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm saying, He's just describing the pathway to addiction. That's what we do. We keep on doing it. And then the tolerance goes up and it goes up. And if you, you know, you can take that in a, in a, in a recovery uh, and in an addiction uh, way of looking at things, or you can take it in a faith uh, way of looking at things. If we keep on feeding the demon, if you will, we know who that is. Well, then faith suffers and we keep getting addicted to all the processes that keep us falling, if you will. And you know, this is why I say the crossover is always there. We keep on doing the wrong things. We keep on making the wrong decisions. Well, then we have to be willing to pay the price that comes along with that. So here's a question that I I wrestle with, okay, and I'm sure some others do. How much of anxiety, depression, addiction remains a choice? Uh, I, you know, I know there's that. It's a matter of is it a d- disease or not? That's not truly what I'm asking. But do we initiate all of this by our choices? You know, um, the choice, first of all, is do I want to be sober? Do I want to be clean from drugs? That's the first. Now, everyone says yes, but then I'll say, Are you willing to do what it takes? And then what happens is, you know what happens, the the withdrawal phase starts. And uh, when you're in this all the time, and that's the way you live your life, and you take it away, you don't know how to operate anymore. You don't know what living in that normal world is all about. And you you want to regress right back to your old world. And, uh, you know, what, what what I've always said to people is you are going to feel pain regardless of what your choice is. If you choose to stay in the addiction, you will fall. You will, go, you know, physical problems, you'll end up in the hospital or you'll end up in a, in, in a clinic somewhere or you'll go to jail or you'll die, whatever it may be. It's, the outcome is not good. If you embrace sobriety, you're again going to feel pain because you will now be without your crutch. Your body will be in withdrawal for a while. You need to learn how to do things. The better part, but the second one, gives you a chance to live a healthy life and be happy and feel good about yourself. Uh, the first one does not. The, 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 the continuation of the drugs will rob you of everything. Sobriety will be a challenge. It'll, it'll feel like it's breaking you at times because you know as well as I do, it's not just about the substance. It's the damage in the life that that is there too. So when you stop the substance, you don't just feel great. Now you begin the cleanup phase of your life. 
Now you start doing all the work and that accountability is there and all those things that, you know, the damage you've done to yourself and other people and your finances and whatever else it may be. Now you've got to face all that You have to and, and fix it. And that's really what people avoid. They, they don't want that accountability factor. And the continuation in, in the substances takes it away, takes it right out of their mind. What are some of the initial signs of you've crossed the line to addiction? Versus you know, again, I tell people, you look physically. How's your body? Are, are are you are you having some physical problems that you're willing to acknowledge? How are your finances? How is your how are your relationships? Um, how are you feeling about yourself? And the big one is, can you say, I can just put this down and go leave it? Or if you do that, are you now? falling apart are you in withdrawal are you is it so painful if it's not a problem nothing changes in your life you know if i'm not a, a a person with an addiction and i decide gee the football game's on i'm going to have three or four beers tonight and have fun with the with, with the friends and tomorrow i get up and i go back to my responsibilities but not so many not the addicted people don't do that you know they may continue it uh when they, they they use personalities change that's another big I mean, nothing should change my personality shouldn't change the next day i should not be uh angry or short-tempered those types of things my diet shouldn't be one that's that's killing me those are all the signs with addiction i, I rarely ask people how much they drink because they don't they're, they're not honest with me but i if i go through all the other components in their lives i can say well look at all these things that are suffering Obviously, there's an there's a problem somewhere. Now we'll not, now we'll start looking at addiction and all the and all the components uh, that that go along with that. So your goal is to help them see the problem before you address the problem, correct? They have to admit it. If if I try to address it with them, <clears throat> they're going to say, "Why are you going there?" Or that you know, I I mean, and plus you know, the people come in, and I had a fellow that come in. I always tell this story that he drank. Three quarters of a case of beer every night. So that, so we're talking eighteen cans of beer. When he came to my to me, he was down to ten to twelve, and he thought he was doing great. And I said, "Are you serious? Ten beers in one evening is not doing well." well you should see what I used to do. So the, the, there's that measuring of yes. dysfunction with someone or something that's way way out there, but not looking in the mirror and saying, "No, this is what I'm doing." You know, when I used to run DUI programs, and these are just people that would go out a few times a week and, and party and have a good time, but they were spending $100 a week uh, in the bar rooms and buying some alcohol for at home. And I said, well, let's total that up. That's $5,000 a year. And you've been doing this for 20 years. You just spend $100,000 on alcohol. Did you think about that? And that's where it starts to hit them. Then I'll say, what kind of car are you driving? Or is your house paid off? Or the kids have everything they need? Or did you get divorced? And now you're, you know, all over, everything's all over the place. It's, it's you know, it's damage in the long run because they won't see the short term. But, I, you know, I'll, I'll say, let's look at what your life, what's happened here. What role do you believe trauma and adverse childhood experiences play in all of this? Addiction, anxiety, depression, any and all of that, Foss. You know, trauma is one of those things where um, if unre left unresolved, 
uh, it's the kind of thing that, again, feeds the demon, you know, and, and we, we deal with people with addictions. I'll always say we have to resolve that past stuff because if we don't, whether you're conscious of it or not, it produces an undercurrent of anger, of mistrust, of anxiety, of depression, all those things. So I always go back, once we get started, I'm always doing a, a, an in-depth history. I want to find out what's there, because otherwise I may be treating symptoms. And I go back and, you know, family histories and uh, social histories, school, you name it. I, I grab whatever I can. And uh, sometimes they know it. Sometimes that they, they know there's trauma there. Other times they lived in it for so long, they, knew, they didn't know anything else. Yeah, yeah. What are the steps to resolving unresolved trauma? Obviously, you've got to recognize it. Uh, where do we go from there? We, we define it, um, and 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 the, that, that once they once they they, build, they have trust in me, we'll define what what that trauma was. Then we'll we'll. We do two things. We're going to not just say, okay, geez, my, my dad uh, beat me. That was my trauma. And I'm going to say, well, let's go back and let's open it up. Let's see how that occurred. I'm not, you know, well, I'm concerned in how you began to change as a human being, as how your feelings adapted to that. What grew, what was the outgrowth? So we start to get all that information. That gives me an idea of how I want to go forward and how we're going to resolve it. Then we're going to start uh, going through it step by step. And, uh, and, and once we get to that point, they're very good at, at talking about that, and, and, and they'll embrace what they have to do. But we have to define not only what happened, all the component features about it, then we're going to move forward and take care of those features one at a time if we have to, uh, or, or however that's going to be. We're, we're going to take care of all of them. I'm going to guess it has a lot to do with what unfolds as far as the features of that trauma. How yeah, do you make your approach to that? Yeah, it's how long it's been there. Uh, it's what coping devices they use, how much damage it did, um, you know, how intense it was. Uh, there's so many factors, but I go back and get every bit of it, you know, and, and, and I think it, if anything has made me successful is that I, I listen to my people. Uh, I validate. I, I, if they're telling me this is what happened to me, then that's what happened, uh, you know, and then we go back and we start defining it. And, you know, it's interesting, Randy, once they realize that I am not going to judge or that I am not going to try to invalidate or, 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 you know, or reduce the impact of something, they're very open to talking to me about it then, because that's what most people have done. Oh, come on, you can get over that. Exactly. But, you, know, you know, but once they say, they, 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 step by step, I'm going to be with them every step of the way. They're willing to open up. The other thing I do is I'm not your once a week come to my office for an ounce or count uh, for an hour counselor. I'm the guy that you can call anytime you want to. Uh, you know, and, and you know it's it's all similar to what a twelve step program would do with a sponsor. You know, you can go to the meetings and uh, and that's great. Maybe have a cup of coffee afterwards. But what if something happens during the week? Can I call you at home because that's the moment I need you? Yes. And, and so I I put that in the program too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Give us a step-by-step, and I know we don't have the kind of time to go over it all, but give us three or four steps toward recovery. Once you've recognized you have an addiction issue, let's say that the individual has, they own the fact, I've got a problem. 
give us four or five steps of how we can move them forward. And the first thing we're going to look at, and I often will say, let's get a doctor in the, in the picture. We want to know how much physical damage has been done or is being done. That may mean that we're, we're, we're talking between coming in and doing an outpatient approach or something a little bit more intense or maybe an inpatient approach if we need to. Uh, we want to start them on the right footing. So the first assessment is to determine the intensity of the problem, how, how, how uh, severe the problem is, and where we are in it right now. If you're drinking a bottle of scotch every day, the possibility of you just saying, well, I'm just going to turn it off, I wouldn't even want to see you do that because the trauma that that can cause uh, concerns me. What, what, what we'll do is, is determine the next step by where the physical parts of things are. How addicted are you? Where is your body in this? Yeah. If we find that you need an inpatient program, we're going to set one up. Uh, if, we, uh, if you don't and you think you can little by little uh, work with this, uh, I'm going to, if it's addiction, I'm always recommending the program if they're willing to go into it, whether it's, whether it's Al-Anon or AA, because I think the support is, is just something you need to have other people who have gone through what you've gone through and know the route out of it and are willing to be there for you. That's just wonderful. Uh, I'm going to ask them about their faith. I'm going to say, well, do you go to church? Are you willing to go to church? Or at least talk about that. If not go to church, we want to talk about that with me. I'll see where their faith is and, and, and we'll go there if we can. I will also involve family members if we can. Uh, because, you know, it's one thing for me to say, uh, let's do this in the office, and they go home and they don't say anything about it. Well, now, either they're trying to hide what we're talking about, or at very least, they're not getting support there. So I want to, you know, at least get a significant other, at least one into the office with me. And the last step is a, a network. I always have with my people, I have a network I'll put together if we need to. It might mean doctors, it might be a program, it might mean other professionals that I think may be necessary. Uh, you know, uh, uh, sometimes we have a, a person comes in and they're, uh, um, they're addicted and we've got kids that are uh, right in the middle of this whole thing. We might uh, set up counselors for the kids, advocates for them, that type of thing. So we're going to try to attack every part of it systematically and some of it, you know, most of the time, we, we do real well with it, as long as the person is willing to say, yeah, I'm, I, it's time and I want to do this. So what do you see as the biggest problem those in recovery most often make? If they are people who really wanted recovery, then the biggest problem that they, they make is to think that somehow recovery became a destination. Well, I got there, now I'm done. Uh, and it's not. Recovery is now the, the way you live your life. Uh, so you're going to continue with the program if you're willing to. And I get all the, I don't want to go to AA, that makes me drink stuff and all those examples, you know. And, I, and I'll say, look, you, you've got to have a support system in there. You've got to realize it's a system of recovery, not cure. And, you know, get destination out of your head. You, you are stopping the, um, the drug or the alcohol to move into a life of recovery. Your goal is to stay there. And when you get to a certain point, help the next person out. That's what it's all set up for. And while you're helping the next guy out, you're also helping you. That, that, that reciprocal nature they don't understand right away. 
Yep. So yep. the answer to your question is when that when they begin to move away from the program and all the things they need to do every day, that's when they fall back. It it remains a journey, as you yeah, said. It's always is. not a destination. Yeah. And you know what? It, 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 once you embrace that concept and you get up every day and say, I like the life I'm living. Okay, I can't go do that anymore. But that was killing me. I like this and I can really embrace this and develop it into something really nice. Boy, the possibilities open up and you feel real good about yourself. The replacement with positive and the pleasant uh, takes right. away the pain of the past. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this kind of fits into the moment. Tell us about your work with substance abuse centers over the years. Uh, you made mention you were evidently involved in the penal system, the prison, mm -hmm. and uh, share some of that with us, please. Yeah, th that's one of those things that I never thought I was going to get involved in. Not that I didn't want to, but uh, I'd come out of graduate school and worked a couple, uh, you know, clinic counseling jobs. And then this job opened up in an alcohol counseling center. And I said, that sounds interesting. I wonder what it's all about. I just looked into it. And it just so happened that the, the, the person running the uh, facility wanted someone, wanted to hire a counselor with at least a master's degree who was not recovering because he wanted that part of the program in there, you know, where it wasn't just recovering people. He said it was to spit, they're spinning their wheels over and over again. We needed that perspective of someone who didn't go through all of this. So I said, okay, I'm willing to accept it. And you know, the challenge uh, worked there for two years, got certified, and from that, the prison job opened up. And I've been going from the counseling center one a half a day a week just to take on two or three of the inmates. And, um, so they said, gee, this is really going well. Would you like to work full time? I said, well, that, that's an interesting concept. You'd be working with addicts all day long. And I did that. I was there for five years. I spent there and I got certified and then eventually went to private practice, but kept the certification and uh, continued to see people ran, I did uh, design and ran DUI programs and things like that. Uh, in fact, our center set up the uh, prototype that was used across the nation for a uh, what they called phase two counseling for DUI offenders. So we did a lot of good work there. So, and I continue to do it to, to this day. So you count that time as highly successful, it sounds like. High successful and life-changing. Uh, when I got into the prison and counsel there, that's when I really had to get into the guts of the program. I had to really learn the 12-step program um, and, and realize that, you know, Programs like this, we like to think that these programs are for recovering people. Everyone can use them. They, they are, the 12-step programs are a tremendous uh, instrument for living. Uh, you know, I'm not recovering. I didn't have the problem, but I use it every day. You truth know, is it, truth, regardless truth of how you're using right. it. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And if we can put apply that to our everyday living why not? Why not? And, and it works, you know. I had a fellow come in and said that um, uh, he was going to a, a party. It was a, an AA party. So they had about 100 people there, no one drinking. They had uh, soda or whatever they had. And he looked at me and he said, I wonder what people who don't have a program do on New Year's Eve. And I said, don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'll reverse all of us. So, uh, yes, yes. So, uh, 
I'm much more at the grassroots level than where you've been and what you've got going on. We have an organization, A Better Life, Brianna's Hope. We call ourselves a, a participant-driven, faith-based, compassion-filled support and recovery movement for those battling battles, substance use disorders, slash addiction. And one of the lines that are so often used in our chapters with our folks is, the idea of changing people, places, and things, okay? Uh, which one of those three do you think cause the greatest problem? The people we associate with, the places we go, and the, the things that we're about and doing? You know, it, it really is... Uh about how the person works. If I had to pick one, I always go with the people because they're live, they're with you, you get feedback, you get support, you know, and often the places and things follow. For some people, though, however, they, uh, they're more uh, isolated and they, they don't spend a lot of time with people. Then it's either, then it's the things they do. Then it's, you know, the, the, that bottle of scotch with television or, 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 um, a movie or I'm in my workshop doing whatever it may be. Uh, but if I had to pick one, it's the people because they they can bring you down they, and they're going to support you one way or another. They're going to support you into hell or, the, or, or into heaven. You pick your, you, you, you pick your, uh, when it comes to that. So I'm, I, I'd go with people. I, I can get that. Yeah, the other two are almost progressive after the people yeah, tie into all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've written several, I'm not sure how you label it, please share that, but uh, books of benefit for people and their living, their struggles, their anxiety, their depression. Tell us about those. Yeah, I, uh, and thank you for asking. I got to this part of my of my career where I, I went part time in the practice, and I said I wanted to start writing. So the first book I wrote was called the Fix Yourself Handbook. Uh, it's thirty six chapters of all different topics that people go through. Um, publishers thought, didn't want to take it on right away because they said too many topics, and I said, well, life has a lot of topics, and I want my book to the first one to open it up. That's kind of the flagship book, if you will. So thirty six chapters, and I write my chapters in short five to six page uh, kind of thing so that people can get through it real can, you know, they're not stuck in it. And then I tell them what they need to do at the end of every chapter. So the design went so well after the first one that we went into the Fix Your Anxiety Handbook and then the Fix Your Depression Handbook. And I'm right, now I'm just starting the Fix Your Anger Handbook. I'm just doing that now. Um, so there are books designed uh, that are based around a process way of life, I call it, which is Things we've talked about, honesty and accountability and, and um, uh, working with your emotions and faith and uh, humility, all those kind of things. And I put them into, into texts where people can use these processes and apply them now to specific problems. Give us some of those topics. You said covers a wide range, several chapters. Just give us some of those labeled topics. There are chapters. Please. I have a chapter on faith. And, and how you get uh, through faith, because faith is such an important process. Uh, and there's anger is in there, fear, people-pleasing, um, isolation, uh, it, it, getting your intellect over your emotion, 
what I call brutal honesty, because you have to have that. Slowing down life's pace is another one. You know, things like that. I and, and I get thirty six of them, and and uh, and I use them in all the books. Uh, different processes applied to different uh, uh, chapters in, in in the whole series. That goes back very much like we were saying with 12-step. Those are good facts for all of life, and it sounds like you've just grabbed that common, ordinary struggle that we all have. It's a matter of if we conquer it or it takes over us, and you address those. And that's what I've done, and I've also built them so that they can be reference books. So if, you know, if... uh... A year from now, you're saying, you know, geez, you know, here I go, and I'm getting angry again, and I'm, I'm, I'm not communicating well. You can go right to the chapters in the book. You just look them up. Oh, there's the one on anger. There's the one on communication. You can go in there and read five or six pages and go back and say, okay, these are the things I have to do and refresh yourself. Just like, just like all the other books in it, you know, the big book or whatever. Just You can go back and get those points right where you need them and, and, and reapply them should you start to lose them. I want to give you the invitation to go ahead and tell folks how they could get uh, one of these books if they'd like to. Yeah. Uh, I want them to have that option. Appreciate it. Uh, uh, find out about me, the books, everything that you need to know. And I do have excerpts from the books on my website. And you can find it at my, it's my name, www.faustregero.com. Uh, everything that you need about what I'm doing is, is there. I like people to see it before they buy it. You can buy the books there. The links are there. But you can also see how the books are written. All three books all have excerpts there. And if they want to contact me, there's a contact link, and I do get back to people. I uh, enjoyed looking at those and got a lot of my questions from them. And here's a quote as we start to wrap this up over the next five or six minutes. Don't just follow the crowd. Question everything. The question you ask can start a ripple that can change the world. And I believe we're capable of that. You, me, and everybody out there listening. So go ahead and uh, dig into that for us. One of my favorite favorite quotes, uh, the the reason for that is that we take everything face value. We, We see it posted somewhere, whether it's social media or someone says it and we run with it because we think we're supposed to we don't want to rock the boat we don't want anyone to come at us and say oh you're you know that's not you're you're not doing it the way i do it or you're not part of our our movement uh, and all i say is don't you don't have to get into a battle with them just ask them three or four questions about their position what you're doing is uh, having them substantiate what, what they're saying Okay, and I always, I always play dumb. I say, "Gee, I never knew that. Can you tell me more? How did this happen?" And by the time you get to question three, they're done, and they they will not say a word to you at that point. And and what you did is you you kind of uh, filter out what doesn't belong. And if they do have something worthy of 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 further pursuit, they will answer your questions. Then you'll say. Okay, gee, I think I'd like to look into that a little more. But ask questions. Don't just take it face value. I don't care if it's your your home, your marriage, your friends, your doctor, whoever it may be. Ask the questions. I read a quote. This was from someone else. I'm trying to recall the gentleman's name. Can't do it. But it went something like, when we 
ask people to think they'll do that and enjoy it. When we make them think, they're out to get us. And uh, you're saying, go ahead, think yourself, regardless of anybody else will think with you. That's right. And, and what you're doing at that point is you're actually putting them in a position to think you're doing a service to them because if they just are giving you something they heard somewhere else, what you're really saying is slow down. Let's have you think about that and see if you really want to continue to use it. But what you did is just ask questions. I, I did this raising my kids. I'd say, they come in, we should do this because. I said, really? Let's talk about that. Now, I don't, I don't know what you mean. And then it got to the point as I got older where they wouldn't even bring it up that way. They'd have to research it first. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember a professor I had in one of my classes would always go with and, and. <laughs> Wanting you to dig deeper and deeper into your own thinking and why you stood where you stood. And uh, it was never an attack. But can you back up what you're saying and what you're thinking? You know, yes. my wife and I have a rule kind of a rule in our relationship where we don't express conclusions to each other. We bring up a topic for discussion. And we arrive at the conclusion together. No one feels pressured. No one is being told, you have to listen to this and do it this way. Or, well, I think it's this way, because who wants to hear that? So we just bring something up, and then we discuss it back and forth. Maybe it takes a minute, two minutes, whatever. And we seem to go in the same direction, then it's done. And we're, we feel good, not only about our conclusion, but about each other. Yes, and that's absolutely. the thing you want in your discussion with people. You want to feel good about them, and you want them to feel good about you. If you can do those things, that's great. Absolutely. Foss, did you know the name of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery? So I'll wrap it up with this question. Define those four words, faith in your recovery, what they mean to you. To me, since my, my life is faith-based, uh, my recovery and everything I do comes from my Lord. So for me, um, you know, uh, my life, even though I'm not in recovery in terms of substances, believe me, I'm in recovery with a lot of other life circumstances. We all so, are. Yes, sir. Right. So I look at recovery as a more global perspective with, with the Lord, with my faith at, at, you know, as, as the keynote. That's, that's the focal point of everything. And then it comes down and, it, and I run everything I, in my life through that. And there's always, a, I, I don't always get the answer I want. Randy. I mean, I, you know, I, I keep telling the Lord, I said, you know, you're not giving me what I want here. Well, good thing he has a sense of humor. You know? but, for all but, of our sakes. But it's always what's best for me. That, that I will tell you. That's never failed for sure. Well, listen, thank you so much for sharing with us your wisdom, knowledge, your experiences, your time. Uh, God bless and we wish you the best. We'll be getting back to you at some point, I'm sure. And uh, between now and then, God's best blessings on you. And by all means, God bless all of you. Thanks so much, Rand. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Folks, thanks for joining us today. 
Tune in again next week. We drop one of these every Friday morning, and we look forward to have you listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Uh, let other folks know we believe we can make a difference, whether we're touching, changing, or saving lives physically, spiritually. God gets them both done, and we're thankful to be on the team. God bless. Goodbye. Take care. Take care.